Welcome to the Vaughn Nelson Podcast. My guest today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Uh, welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dan. So, Chris, um, catching up after last week, uh, gosh, we had a crazy week last week. It's, it's the largest up week in the market since the 1970s. Um, what are we looking at here? Is, it, is this a bounce, or, or do you think we've, we've actually found some footing and this is the early stages of recovery? Yeah, you know, I think it's insightful when they talk about last week being the largest up week since the 70s. You know, we've seen similar discussions and comparisons to the early 30s um, or even the rallies in 08 going into 09. And last week's bounce was indicative of a bear market bounce. Uh, And I say that because of how sharp it was the nature of the leadership being the most shorted stocks leading the market higher and you know we just reached points of exhaustion and as sellers initially kind of exhausted what they wanted to sell and then you get the fed coming in all in with not just incremental liquidity but in areas of the market that was in desperate need of liquidity uh, that being high yield and elsewhere it just set the stage for more short covering or for aggressive traders to get long for a rally. Okay, so so uh, we got a little bounce here, but you know certainly that nothing that we're feeling is, is sustainable or, or is building a foundation for for moving moving higher from here. No, I you know certainly we haven't fixed the issues at work, and there's permanent damage, and we could have a vaccine tomorrow, um, and it doesn't mean the market's cheap. Um, and so I, I think one thing that every investor and every allocator needs to keep in mind is that when you're in bear markets, you have lots of time to put money to work. So you don't need to chase those rallies. And we're kind of seeing evidence of that this week where, you know, depending on the market cap range um, in the smaller cap space, we've already given back a, a large percentage of last week's gain. Yeah, no, that's 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 interesting to know. So, um, and then you know, moving along, you know, kind of next topic here, we're looking at weekly claims. Um, you know, we've had three weeks of of really unprecedented unemployment. Um, but I was wondering, you know, your take on that, but also, you know, curious on looking at unemployment versus furloughed, and then permanent versus temporary, uh, and, and yeah. what we're seeing there. Yeah. So I I think it's. Well, we've been expecting large claims numbers week after week, and and that hasn't surprised the market. I think there's two things that bear watching. One is kind of the reconciliation from last a prior week's continuing claims number to the incremental filers of unemployment claims, because the delta between those two is the difference between a furloughed employee and someone that's, quote, permanently fired or let go. Um, And so watching that percentage on a week-by-week basis to see how many have been furloughed and how many have been permanently fired is going to be indicative of what's really going on in the real economy. And we have seen that tick up, indicating a higher percentage of last week's claims were related to people that were truly let go and not just furloughed. And that should have been expected. And what I mean by that is once we had the final rules under the CARES Act for the payroll protection program and other elements, business leaders could make the decision 
of what they wanted to do with their staff. So those rules were, were written, they made their decision, and there was another very large wave of layoffs. The other thing we need to watch is the nature of, of the layoffs. And what I mean by that is, where are they coming from? So we're gonna to start to see them spread out beyond the what we would expect in retail and elsewhere. They're gonna start moving through the services sector they're going to start moving through areas that were thought to be a little more stable. We've already seen anecdotal uh, reporting that we're starting to see it in government jobs, healthcare workers, even in uh, legal work and things of that nature. And businesses with longer sales cycles where it may take 90 or 180 days, they're just now starting to see their weakness and they're going to continue kind of right-sizing their business. And the other thing investors need to remember is that, you know, this, there's this concept that, well, we turn the economy off and we're just going to turn it back on, so we're just going to rehire all these people. That couldn't be further from the truth. We didn't turn the economy off. We broke it. We cracked it. And now we've got to try to put the pieces back together. Uh, we just changed its operating environment, and there is no fiscal plan or there is no monetary program the Fed can put together that, quote, fixes it easily. It's going to take animal spirits. It's going to take revenue. And then we'll see the hiring. We're not going to see the hiring ahead of that. And the other thing uh, to watch is I think we're going to continue to see elevated claims for a much longer time than the market has currently priced in. Uh, you know, the market's expecting bad data but they're not expecting it to continue. They're probably expecting a sharp increase and then a quick kind of decline back to just elevated levels of unemployment. And I just, I don't think that's gonna be the case. I think we're gonna see a lot of companies taking this opportunity to right-size their business for what they think is gonna end up being lower levels of revenue going forward. And at the same time, the economy had been strong enough for a sufficient period of time that people really didn't need to run their businesses lean. They really didn't, they could keep extra people around just in case or keep extra projects around just in case because uh, the business was strong enough. All that is being eliminated currently. And so there's a, a material percentage of what we're seeing in unemployment claims that will not be hired back if, quote, we restart the economy. Yeah, that's 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 an interesting point. You know, it's, it's more folks on. You know, these companies are refocusing on where they're headed as opposed to, you know, not where they are. Um, and, and you're right, you know, this will be running a lot leaner uh, from here on out. And you, know, you mentioned, you know, the pay payroll protection program. You know, that, that did roll out over the past week. Um, checks were received this week. Uh, just real quickly, you know, what, what does that look like? And I guess a couple follow-up questions to that. Yeah, I, you know, I think it will be slightly better than, quote, the shovel-ready projects that we saw in 2009 where they weren't shovel ready and the money really didn't get out into the system quickly. This money will get out into the system. Um, you know, the unintended consequences of it are gonna be probably much greater than what people realize. You're gonna see some businesses that were operating at a minimum level just so they could pay their employees. Now take these funds, pay their employees, and then just stop operations altogether. Um, you're gonna see you know, clearly there's going to be some fraud and abuse that occurs with any government program that's pushed out this quickly. 
but quite frankly, this money probably isn't getting to who needs it the most. Um, as long as it's going through banks, banks are going to focus on getting it to their customers first. But that large percentage of small businesses that do not have banking relationships, quite frankly, are still at the back of the line. And the program will run out of money long before it gets to them. And then we're back waiting for politicians to do their job. Uh, but unfortunately, their job is focused on politics and sound bites and not necessarily quote fixing the economy. Right. So, you know, by the time that by the time the businesses really get the time the businesses who you know, truly are looking for this to, to buoy themselves, um the, the program the program will need a a, a re upping, I suppose, and, and those immediate oh, yeah. hires that you're looking for. Uh, those, and and, uh, and, and a lot now. of the yeah, and a lot of these companies you know, we've seen enough surveys, they can hold on a month, they can hold on two months. If we have to wait another week or two for Congress to come back in session and then negotiate and try to, you know, negotiate all the pork they win it, these guys are done. I mean, Good. that's yeah. why I say there's a lot of permanent damage already done to the real economy. And you just got to keep in mind, you're never going to get a workable solution to a business or economic problem from a politician, a regulator or an academic. And that's who's in charge of all of this, and that's who's taken a larger role in our economy. Right. Uh, so another big topic from last week, uh, the Fed decided that it was going to start buying high yields, um, federalized loan obligations, buying ETFs. Uh, you know, so this is you know, really broadening their stance on, on where they've been historically. Um, love to you know, get your take on, on what that means, and, and maybe more importantly, why do you think they're doing it, and, and why now? You know, it, it's and we highlighted in in our quarterly write-up that the Fed had kind of left the leveraged loan market, left high yield out of policy support. And, you know, that's understandable. One, it's it's more consistent with their original charter. Um, whether they think they can do this technically through having special purpose vehicles to operate through the Treasury, but this is a clear violation of, of the Federal Reserve Act in its substance. And I have no doubt there's going to be severe political repercussions from this. Why did they do that? I, I think they did it for two reasons. One, nothing you know in politics is new. This is all about bailing out your constituents and Wall Street and private equity. Um, has as big a grip on Congress and politics as any other large lobby out there. So this is clearly very good for them and a, a direct bailout of their buddies. Uh, two, we do need those markets to function. As I said previously, we need the markets to function. We need there to be sufficient liquidity for price discovery to occur. Um, and so right now, that's, you know, what they've done certainly aids in that. It's interesting, though, that as important as they deem high yield in the CLO market is, there's very little support for the mortgage market and the mortgage servicers. So we can ignore the largest asset that Main Street has, which is the value of the house and their mortgage, and target these individual programs. Um, I hope that this doesn't mean they're going to take one step further and start buying equities. 
I think the most dangerous thing we could see in this governmental response to the pandemic is government further encroaching in markets and further expanding their control of the economy. Uh, you know, there's very clear research that that not only uh, heavily contributed to the experience in the 30s, but may have been the, really the, the direct cause of it once the correction began. Uh, I can't stress enough that government is in no position to manage markets and achieve productive outcomes or manage sectors of the economy and achieve productive outcomes. But clearly this was, uh, uh, you know, they crossed the line and they've opened a whole nother can of worms. Yeah. So, you know, we're in the, in the midst of, we're right about to step into earnings season here. Um, you know, we've got a first look at, at bank earnings. Uh, I'll ask you how it's looking. I think I know the answer, but, uh, you know, entertain me a bit here. Yeah. Now, you know, what's interesting, the banks are in a tough position, right? They know they need the reserve. Um, they really don't have a great playbook of how to handicap what's coming at them. Uh, but just using history as a guide and using the level of unemployment that exists today and the losses that should be expected at the large banks, while they took large reserves, they are woefully insufficient for what's headed their direction. So, you know, they're probably on the orders of magnitude only reserved 20 cents on the dollar. Uh, so far, so they're going to be much larger. You, know, you could make a case that they reserved at a level that was sufficient to cover up some of their trading profits that they probably generated with the vo market volatility we've seen. Um, at the same time, they wanted to demonstrate the ability to continue to be able to pay their dividends, and so they probably were threading that line. But that reality, we're going to get you know, real reserves in the second quarter. And I can't stress enough for investors and again, allocators as well, ignore the first quarter earnings, ignore the first quarter commentary. Um, the guys that have the most to say are going to be the guys that are, in, that are doing the best and as bad as they look, um, you just need to realize they're doing much better. And we're not going to hear from the guys that are really struggling for another month or so. And we're going to start getting real-time data out of uh, alternative sources as it relates to collections and claims and, and, and all kinds of other data points to just how weak things are. Um, and that's going to be the driver of the market going forward more so than anything else. And the market will really start to focus on what does it look like, can we reopen, are there recurring lockdowns in China once they began to reopen? That's the driver from here, and, and much less anything that comes out of quarterly calls. Yeah, no, that's good, and, and, and I think that's, that's a great transition to, you know, we, we have a little glimpse of what that potentially might look like with respect to reopening the economy, reopening the marketplace um, on a rolling basis. Uh, you know, we've seen some leaks here. You know, what is, what is it, what, from what you've seen, what does this look like? Um, how does it play out over the over the coming months, it looks like. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's this narrative in the market that we're all just sitting around waiting for the governors to tell us it's time, let's do it, or to get instructed. 
person or the mayor or whoever it may be. And I'm just not in the camp that that's how this is going to work. You know, I, you know, it's astonishing while it feels like we've been dealing with this COVID pandemic for months. I mean, we're talking about only four weeks and, you know, the human condition and the entrepreneur and business people uh, and people that, that serve in the community can deal with a lot in a four-week period. But the idea that they're going to stand idly by as their livelihoods are destroyed, as their businesses that they've built are destroyed, or that just in general their own personal well-being is hindered because somebody in a, in, in a governmental position said so, I think it's just crap. I mean, I really think we're going to see people make decisions for themselves and take more personal responsibility for themselves. And they're not going to wait for the all clear from a governor or anyone else. Um, at the end of the day, just the fabric of, of society in the U.S. is too dynamic to be controlled. That's just never been what our DNA is about. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've kind of, in the back of my mind said, look, there's about three to four more weeks of this, and I don't care what someone says, we're going to start to see a little bit of what I would call rebellion or social unrest and real pushback. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you think about how long can this go before people start thinking, I have to do what's best for myself uh, and start thinking on a more individual level than a, than a holistic uh, community level. Um, yeah. and, and you're right. It's, you know, if you're, you're you've been you know you're a small business owner you're pushed to the edge um, you don't you don't have too many other options out there so it's uh, you're curious to see how much longer this goes and and then you know again the the response from the public uh, uh, depending on how long it gets dragged out well and you can also see where the government's already said it's okay if you don't pay your rent don't pay your mortgage don't pay your credit card and don't pay your car payment mm-hmm. um, well let's say they do that in mass and they do it for one month, and then they do it for the second month, are we going to repossess 80 million cars? Are we going to repossess, you know, 90 million homes? No, right? So they're real. I mean, there is a social contract between lenders and debtors, and we've broken that. And they can't, they shouldn't assume you can just kind of continue in this suspended animated state. Um, I suspect, you know, the system could become overwhelmed if we don't reopen things. And we can do it. I mean, people are going to be more cautious. You know, there's great evidence out there. You know, you compare, I I believe it was uh, Georgia that didn't institute a lockdown order, but yet they had the same level of compliance from a stay-at-home perspective as other states that did have orders in place. So people aren't stupid. Uh, They're going to do what's in their best interest. They're going to solve their problems. We don't need a government entity to, quote, uh, force us to do something. What we need is the information. So the the idea of social isolation and a lockdown was a good one. And we needed to do it to provide a window of opportunity for the healthcare system to build up capacity, build up testing, um, and you know, let's hope that we've we've provided sufficient time for that. But 
it's not an indefinite period, just the way society works. Right. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a great place to put a, put a stop on this for this week. Um, good weekly recap. Uh, and we will be back again next week. We'll do it all over again. Looking forward to it. Excellent. You bet. Okay. Thanks, Thanks, Chris. We got you. We'll see you. Bye. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.